I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Jason Gaddis. He is the author of Getting to Zero, How to Walk Through Conflict in Your High-Stakes Relationships. Conflicts in our closest relationships are scary because so much is at stake. If the conflict doesn't go well, we could lose our marriage, our family, or our job, all of which are connected to our security and survival. So we do just about everything not to lose those relationships, including avoiding conflict, betraying ourselves, or becoming dishonest. The problem is unresolved conflict affects every single aspect of our lives. Through funny personal stories, uncomfortable examples, and effective tools and skills, Jason Gaddis reveals the origins of conflict styles, shares how to work through difficult conversations instead of running away from them, and explains why the fastest way to indestructible relationships is to become good at working through conflict together. His method upgrades the old, tired, and static conflict resolution approaches and offers a street-level, user-friendly roadmap on exactly how to work through conflict with the people you care about most. He's a sought-after relationship coach, as well as the host of the successful Relationship School podcast. Welcome to the show. Jason, nice to have you here. Thanks, Catherine. Great to be here. All right. Well, as I just said in one big, long intro, um, unresolved conflict really does, it affects every single aspect of our lives, as from self-confidence to physical and mental health. So as a relationship coach, you have figured out, what, a new way of dealing with conflict, not an old, tra- the old traditional, maybe psychotherapy ways, but the kind of a street smart way of uh, dealing with conflict, working through our conflicts? Yeah, I would say so. Um, and look, there's a there's probably a million different ways to do it, but I I've worked with lots of people over the past couple decades, and and I found this this way to be the the most effective I've encountered, and also it's what I apply with my own kids and my wife. It works for you, so it's going to hopefully work for all of us, right? And I, you give lots of examples well, and personal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it may not work for everybody, but I, I, again, with the, the students and clients and people I work with, it uh, seems to be pretty cool. Like people get a, if you apply yourself, people get a pretty uh, effective upgrade in terms of particularly listening skills. Like a lot of us think we're pretty good at listening, but then, you know, under stress, we tend to not listen very well. We tend to wait for our turn, um, which isn't really listening. So uh, I think if we want to be very successful in our high-stakes relationships, we've got to learn this skill, and it's a skill anyone can learn. Okay, let's define conflict, or you define conflict yeah, for cool. us. Yeah, okay. I, I define conflict as a disconnection, uh, unresolved issue or tension between two people, and it's not typically what people think is conflict is like fighting and yelling at each other. Conflict's often what we're not saying. It's the silence between us. It's the text that didn't get returned. It's really anything relationally that upsets us, I think, is conflict. And then we get into all kinds of communication issues when we try to figure that out. And this book is really, in my way, is really about how do we get back to a good place as soon as possible. So unresolved issues and conflict can be silent. It's not the screaming and yelling at each other and uh, hurling obscenities at one another because you're angry, but it's stuff that's like, would you call that an inner conflict versus outer conflict? Because there's a difference between those two things. 
Yeah, there's a difference um, for me. Uh, the easiest way for me to describe that is that when you avoid conflict, avoid saying the hard thing, uh, withhold your truth, you're creating an inner conflict. And it has nowhere to go but inside of you. And when people, so if anyone listening is a conflict avoider, you need to understand when you avoid conflict, you're creating an inner conflict inside. And um, that gets, that compounds over time and it turns into a resentment. And then eventually you might blow up or implode internally uh, because you feel like you can't be yourself in your most intimate relationships. And so I'm saying, no, you can be yourself. You're just going to be uncomfortable because it might upset the other person. You might get into a fight. It m- the other person might go away. All that is true. But would you rather maintain your relationship with yourself or, or lose another person in your life? Like, you know, it's kind of a choice. And I, I'm a big fan of don't lose that relationship with yourself. All right. Don't lose the relationship with yourself. Give a specific example. You can give us a personal one because you, with yourself, that's always interesting, and your wife and your kids. Oh, totally. For examples. In the, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me, let me start with, uh, let me rewind the tapes just to my childhood briefly because this is, I think, the most important part of understanding conflict. So when I was growing up, I was a sensitive, emotional, empathic boy, and I got the message that that part of me wasn't welcome. So I stuffed and buried that part of me best I could in exchange for approval, love, connection. And that's what a lot of us do. We get the message that there's some part of us that's like kind of not cool in our family or on the playground, so we bury it or we try to hide it. And then, again, it comes out sideways later on. But it creates a split between our two selves. I call it our true self is my true self was sensitive, emotional, empathic. And then my strategic self was, okay, I'm going to get good at sports so my dad doesn't get mad at me. I'm going to perform in school. Um, I'm going to be charming and funny and witty and whatever uh, because that works better than this sensitivity stuff. Well, what happens later in life is I get into an adult relationship and I've buried my emotions. So what do I attract? I have a bunch of women dating me in my 20s that want my emotions and I'm so triggered by their emotions that I'm pushing them away. And that led to relationship failure after relationship failure because anything that resembled conflict like, hey, Jason, can we have a talk or I have a need here? I would just push them away because I felt uncomfortable and I didn't know what to do with emotions because I had repressed mine. So it wasn't until I started learning how to be with my own pain and my emotions that I started having more juicy, intimate, successful, intimate relationships. So that's just a, I think we all can reflect back on our childhood and be like, wait, did I, did I have to trade my authentic self-expression for connection? And am I still doing that? You know, that, that's a, an interesting story because uh, that's your individual story. But as I've experienced it, and I, I don't like to do this, I'm not pitting men against women, but I think women are given whatever, you know, whatever the individual family situation is, women are giving permission to be, uh, to, to be able to express their emotions or to, if they're feeling bad or sad or whatever they're feeling, and they do it starting as young children, whereas little boys are not allowed yeah. to do that. I think that's changing. So I think that your yeah. experience is not unique in the sense of maybe the general kind of upbringing you know, or the general population in terms of the upbringing that you had. And we're working towards not having that happen with our little boys um, and everybody on my, oh, listens to my yeah. show. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. Because women very yeah, often I, it, in marriages, yeah. I'm a social worker, will come in and say, you know, I try to talk to him. I want to say, but he doesn't. He just sits there. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't respond. And it's right. usually the women yeah. who are saying this, not the men. Totally. 
Yeah, I, I think that's still true. Women are women are leading the way still relationally in marriages and in intimate relationships. And I think you're right. It comes back to as kids, like girls are taught to prioritize relationships over their own needs and boys are taught to prioritize themselves over their relationships. And again, hopefully that's changing with, with you and my help and, and here, but I think that's still pretty common. And so adult relationships get into those kind of snags. Absolutely. So that was your experience, but you finally, you're saying in your 20s, you came to realize that this is what was happening to you. And as an adult, you were having these really not good relationships because of holding everything in and creating more conflict. So then what happened? I mean, was this, yeah, okay. So you obviously are in a relationship. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So age 29, I, I realized after all these relationship failures, I was like, oh, wait, I'm the one common denominator here. I'm the dumbass. And, uh, I'm, I'm the one making women wrong. And it, it could be possible that it's me actually creating all these relationship challenges. And it, and it was. And once I realized, like, I was the problem, I was like, okay, I can do something about this. And that's when I went to graduate school to study psychology. I became a psychotherapist, met my wife, started a relationship with her. And we started, you know, getting in the dojo of partnership. And it was my first really adult, real relationship. And it was very confronting to me. Uh, because I wanted to keep running away. And I actually did twice before we got married, by the way. Uh, it's another story. <laughs> but, you know, I was she so reeled you, terrified. She reeled you in. Come on. You had to come back, right? Jason, I'm getting you back. But <laughs> well, uh, it's that because I was going to say was it must have been really scary because, oh, my God, now I found a woman that I am confiding in and that I'm exposing myself to and I'm vulnerable. And you're like, goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it was very scary for me um, just to open my heart because uh, it had been on lockdown for decades. And uh, I was opening to her, and it was it was terrifying. So how long have you been married? 14 years now. We just had our 14th wedding anniversary a couple weeks ago. Congratulations. And how many children? Yeah. Two, ki- <laughs> two kids, ages 12 and 10. Well, and I have to ask you, boy, girl, or... Girls, boys, yeah, what is it? Yeah, uh, boy, age 12, and girl, age 10. So what are you doing differently with your kids? Because now they are really at that age. Those are critical age. All, every age is critical. But um, how are you treating them differently than you were treated? Yeah, uh, it's an important question. You know, my our home, my wife and I have a definitely commitment to create a secure home base, which is basically it's a safe harbor and it's a launching pad. So when our kids get beat up by life or scared or hurt or whatever, the place they come to first to get emotionally and psychologically supported is home. Uh, and so we create that in our partnership. We are, I see my partnership with my wife as a home, metaphorical home, um, that's the safe harbor and it's a launching pad, as well as our physical home. So, uh, and that, that just that foundation of what I call basically secure attachment is built through rupture and repair cycles or disconnections and reconnections in a conflict, what I call the conflict repair cycle. It's only through conflict and repair that security is built in an intimate relationship or a parent-child relationship. And the work of Ed Tronic is really profound here. And I reference that in my book. So in other words, my kids watch my wife and I go through conflict, go through the conflict repair cycle. They see us fight in front of them or disagree or get, you know, upset with each other. And then they see us come full circle, come back around within hours or a day. We get back to a good place again. 
And that's very powerful teaching. We're showing them, in other words, instead of telling them. And when they get in a fight with each other, we, we're facilitators. We're facilitating them to get back to zero, get, get back to that good place. So you are the role models for them, which obviously Absolutely. does work. And, yeah, and that's the way to do it. Uh, you, you kind of alluded to this in the beginning, some of the tools for being able to do that. And I think the one that you just, I wanted to, I think you mentioned it a little while ago. You have to learn how to listen. You have to learn how to listen to each other. I mean, I assume that's what your kids yeah. are watching with you and your wife. Listening, listen, listen, and speaking differently. Because I think that's so critical uh, in terms of you can say the same thing uh, and it be, it's very acceptable to the other person, and you can say it in a different way, and it just leads to all kinds of chaos and arguing. And it's 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 kind of a simple tool, you totally. know, how you say something, yeah. yeah, tone of voice, you know, all of those kinds of things. If you're oh screaming yeah. at somebody, for, yeah, so that's really important. I think that's key, um, and yeah. it's easy to learn. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I actually thought I was a pretty good listener until I went to graduate school, and I was like, oh, God, I, I don't... And then I, and then in grad school, it's funny, I didn't have one class on relationships, so I'm, I'm trying to figure that out still, even though I have all these cool tools. I'm, I'm learning how to listen to clients. But what I didn't learn was how to validate my wife's experience and also empathize with her. Uh, empathy is kind of a weak, weaker muscle of mine for some reason. With her, with other people, it's fine. It's easy. It's <laughs> her especially under stress, it's harder. Um, but a couple tools that we can use is just uh, three, three of my favorite words when listening are that makes sense. So when you say you're upset and I, I could either, I have two choices. I can go, no, you're not. You're fine. Like, like parent child, this is classic when a child is upset and the parent says, you're fine. Like get over it kind of mentality versus honey. Yeah. I saw you, I see you're sad and it makes sense that you're sad because of X, Y, and Z just happened. That alone is, can move mountains with children feeling safe, with adult partners feeling safe. It's like, ah, oh, thanks. I don't feel like I'm crazy here. My experience is valid and it matters to this other person. And then we can add another step and we can say, yeah, and it must feel kind of sad over there. Like, I, I, I'm feeling you. Like, that's, ooh, that's a lot to go through. Then a child especially learns to trust their inner life and trust their experience internally. That builds security from the inside out in a person enormous. So it isn't that hard, but under stress, it's harder because we don't know how we resort to our default sort of blame or defensiveness or justification or minimization, you know, whatever we do, that's not good. So you, we do have to learn a life skill here just to apply ourselves. And then, and then it clicks. I watch my students all the time, like have massive transformations in their families, especially with their kids, because they become a better listener. Yeah, a better listener and validate. You mentioned the word validate. Once you validate the other person's feelings, I think you're halfway there or maybe 90% there. Uh, yeah. Even if you can't go further with it. And you mentioned it's more difficult to do with your wife than, say, you know, a, a, a colleague, for instance, or somebody or even a friend. Well, you don't have the same kind of stake in the relationship either. So that comes into play. Um, you mentioned the mm-hmm. five most common types of fights. What are they? Nice. Uh, surface fights, projection fights, resentments, value differences, and security fights. All right. Let's talk and about some of those. Because, yeah. yeah. Let's, I think that's because that people are saying, okay, yeah, I fight about this. I fight about, you know, you have clients. I fight about that. Some people, or maybe all of us, fight about all of these different 
<laughs> kinds of fights at different times in our lives and with diff- and uh, different relationships that we have with people. So yeah, I think that's important to really um, let's get into that. What are uh, what are what are well, let's talk about value differences that comes into play in relationships, whether you're married or not. Yeah, great. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the obvious one right now is right vaccines versus no vaccines. That's a big value difference in two different people. Um, yeah. Let's do that. But if we just that. drill it down That's, to like, yeah, yeah I mean, uh, you could be in a relationship. Most most people don't find themselves in a relationship with uh, that, that kind of polarization um, because it's so extreme. Uh, and some people do. And if there is that, that is a very significant value difference. And basically, if people are fundamentalists, meaning they're, they're very seeing black and white in my way is the only way and I will never change, that relationship is going to deteriorate and eventually end. But if these two people are open-minded and they're willing to, um, you know, listen to the other person's perspective and actually take it into consideration, um, we can we can find a middle ground in our value differences and still be together or be a partnership or a team and still be successful. Uh, but it requires some some open-mindedness and a willingness to to be with and be in a relationship with someone quite different from you, um, and to be able to communicate through those differences. All right, I'm going to stop you there because I, I would like to do a very specific example because I think that's a really, I mean, that is the topic of the day, vaccines. And let's say you have a husband and wife situation and two kids and and the okay. mother is vaccinated and uh, wants her children to become vaccinated when, it, when they can, when they're the right age. And the father says, I'm not getting vaccinated and our children are not getting vaccinated because I don't believe in it. How would the, how yeah. do you resolve that? So, so again, if, if they're not willing to entertain or be curious about the other person's position and science and where they get their information from, and also just, hey, it's okay to be different here. And and um, but if, if they can't find some kind of middle ground with their kids, for example, and it definitely will be about the kids in this example, um, then they're going to divorce. It, it's just not possible to get through that impasse. Again, unless the two adults are open-minded and willing to communicate through it, be like, okay. Fine. Like the the husband would have to concede and say, "Yeah, I that's totally cool. You know what? I I don't I don't agree with it. And I, because I love you, and you seem to have a real you know firm position here, I'm willing to defer to you on this one. And that's okay. And I'm actually not going to resent you. Um, five years later, when I bring this up in another fight, I'm not, I'm going to jab you with this. Well, you you know took control of the kids' vaccinations, and no, I'm not going to play that game." I'm going to support you and have your back here, even though I disagree with you. Or the wife could do the same thing. Okay, let's not get them vaccinated. I love you, honey. I, I hear you out. And it's okay. I'm, I'm actually not that staunch about this, and I'm willing to go with you on this one. Uh, couples have to navigate that. And again, if, they, if they're not willing to, one person's not willing to move, it ain't gonna, it's not going to work. But what about this? Let's interject another scenario. What if it's not vaccine? Okay. What if it's seatbelts? I wear a seatbelt. My kids are going to wear a seatbelt. And the husband says, well, I don't believe in seatbelts. So uh, our kids are not going to be wearing seatbelts. So is it okay for the mother to say, well, okay, I understand you. I, I understand where you're coming <laughs> okay, from. <good>. Nice. <laughs> um, no, I, I wouldn't say absolutely not. I mean, we're talking about the law here also. Now we have... Um, right, we have a, you know, rules and regulations that we've got to follow as citizens of this country. Um, and it's just good citizenship to be like, yeah, okay, we're going to do the seatbelt thing. And it seems like a prudent thing to do. 
we're going to wear seatbelts. And again, if the husband is stonewalling or gaslighting her, um, that, that marriage isn't going to work. Uh, the husband would have to get on board with like, okay, fine. I don't, I'm not going to wear a seatbelt for my body. And when I'm driving alone, but when the kids are in the car, I'll wear a seatbelt and they need to wear a seatbelt. That's, you know, that would have to be the direction it would go. And then you take the, well, you could take it a step further. I think the father is saying, I'm not going to wear the seatbelt when I'm driving alone, but I'm responsible for these children as well. This is, a you know, as responsible as you are. So I'm really being irresponsible by not wearing a seatbelt yeah. because I'm putting myself and my life in danger and my family and, you know, not being responsible to my kids. So I think that's another piece of it. I have to add that. I also feel that way in terms of vaccines, but yeah, it's, it's very, there, these are very, I mean, getting back to the vaccine, um, thing, um, it's, is, is that a question of belief or is that a question of science, a question of responsibility, of adhering to the laws of our community and, and, and the rules and regulations and the research and all of those kinds of things? I wouldn't, you know, I don't know. That's, I guess I'm asking you personal opinion, maybe rather than how you would um, navigate yeah. the I mean, it's, disagreement. It's, it's, an, it's an important question. Um, yeah. and, and again, we could just be talking about religion, you know. You're a Mormon and I'm not, or you're a Christian and I'm not, or you're a Catholic and I'm not. Whatever the, the difference is, it can only be worked through with two willing people. If one person's unwilling and closed-minded, it's not going to work. And this is, this is the, I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of um, going to the end of my book where I'm like, hey, what if the other person <laughs> won't work through the conflict, then what? Um, yeah. Because we do, we, most of us are in a relationship with someone in our lives that is just so closed-minded, shut down, resistant to anything. And that's going to be really hard to work through. So I, I teach people how to work through it on your own without the other person. But that kind of partnership is likely not going to work over time. So you have to let go of it, as you say. I guess you're saying that. Um, that it's just yeah, not I mean, going to, people yeah. need to take responsibility for their choices. Like, look, I chose to be in a relationship with someone and I didn't do a thorough vetting process. And it turns out they are the polar opposite of me. Like, when you partner with someone, you think everything's similar and you're great and everything's great. You start having kids and joining finances. And a couple of years down the road, you realize, oh, shit, this person is actually kind of a pain in the ass and they're very different from me. And, wow, look at how they do their finances. Look at they're kind of a disaster with X, Y, and Z, or I'm judging them about all kinds of things. Yeah, exactly. That's long-term relationship. Um, don't sign up for that if you don't want to be with someone who's different from you. But when it's so different, again, you still have to take responsibility. I chose this person. I chose to have babies with them. I chose to get into a relationship with them. And that's on me. Right? That's my choice. Right. So am I going to choose to stay here and be miserable, or am I going to choose to get out? Now, if you become disconnected, because this is what you also talk about in the book, because that happens, um, you describe 10 you don't have to describe all of them, but give us examples of some of them. Ten roadblocks to reconnecting because you're not connected. You're blaming each other. You're, you know, defensive. Yeah. You're doing all this stuff that's really not going to work. You're never going to get back together. So you need some tools to be able to do that. Totally. So we, we rely again on if we don't learn how to communicate better under stress, which is how to work through conflict, then we rely on what we've always done and kind of our habits and our default settings. And the default settings for a lot of people are to blame. You mentioned that one. Defensiveness. Uh, we use the hope and pray technique. Uh, we use time. Like, I, I hope and pray that this is going to get better, which doesn't do anything to change anything. 
uh, time. I'm just going to let this the dust settle here, and I'll just talk to him again in a week. Or I'm just going to ignore this, which is compartmentalization. That's another roadblock. I'll put it on the shelf. This is kind of what my parents did, and I think their generation, bless their hearts, because they didn't have these kind of tools and the access. So it's like, I'm just going to stuff it. I'm going to put it over there in the closet where I don't have to think about it. And you can do that, actually, pretty effectively. People do this all the time. And in playing sports and in high-stress situations, they compartmentalize other things going on in their life. Again, good skill to know. Um, but when it comes to, if I have a conflict with you, Catherine, and we're in a relationship, an intimate relationship, I'm just compartmentalizing all, compartmentalizing all the time. Uh, I'm basically just harboring resentment after resentment after resentment, and then I'm not bringing who I am to you and the truth. And that's, that greatly inhibits your intimacy in that relationship, and it puts a massive kink in the hose of what's potential here, what's possible. So there's a lot of roadblocks we do. Uh, of course, stonewalling, gaslighting are, are two of the biggest ones. Uh, they're, you know, pretty scary. Um, but yeah, th- this is just common. This is what human beings do. We have to be aware of when we're doing these and choose another path. I think that actually, I think the one that is the big one, is the one that you just described is compartmentalization. I mean, that's easy to do. And I think I see yeah. so many people doing it. I think I do it myself sometimes. <laughs> um, just sometimes, yeah. Yeah. not all the time. Uh <laughs> But, um, yeah, I think that's mm-hmm. a big one. Uh, we only have, like, three minutes left. So there's so much in this book, by the way. There are lots of uh, just lots of tools to be able to um, take a look at your relationship and, um, and simple tools, easy to do, right? It's not so difficult if, if, if you just um, – if you become aware of what the issues are. I mean, it really is a user – your book – a user-friendly roadmap on how to work through conflict. So better get the book, read the book. Uh, Jason, give us a website and or websites to go to so that we can get more information, buy the book, and more information about you and your work and what you do. Cool. Yeah, and I've just got to say, Catherine, I'm thoroughly enjoying our conversation here. It's fun to to hang out with you right now. Thank Um, you. Fun to hang out with you too. Yeah, you can. Cool. The book is called Getting to Zero, and gettingtozerobook.com is the easiest place to just take the conflict quiz, for example. It's a quiz that just you can determine your conflict style, which actually helps you educate your partner or people in your life about how you do it. And then it can um, orient you on how to improve. And, and then, like you said, this book is chock full of, you know, it's really a roadmap to how do we get back to a good place? You know, this is the book. Um, and I think it's going to help people get back to that good place. Yeah, and um, that's probably the best place. And then there, we have a podcast, of course, called the Relationship School Podcast. You can always check that out. And uh, the Relationship School or RelationshipSchool.com has a lot of our live trainings and events. And I train relationship coaches and a lot of other fun stuff going on on social and all that. Great, Jason Gaddis. Thanks so much. Getting to zero: How to work through conflicts in your high stakes relationships. Really fun talking to you today. And lots of good information, obviously. Yeah, likewise. Thanks. It was super thanks. fun. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. (laughs) 